Chapter Nineteen of the Magnificent Ambersons. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Magnificent Ambersons by Booth Tarkington. Chapter Nineteen. George went driving the next afternoon alone, and encountering Lucy and her father on the road in one of Morgan's cars, lifted his hat, but nowise relaxed his formal countenance as they passed. Eugene waved a cordial hand quickly returned to the steering-wheel, but Lucy only nodded gravely and smiled no more than George did. Nor did she accompany Eugene to the Major's for dinner the following Sunday evening, though both were bidden to attend that feast, which was already reduced in numbers and gaiety by the absence of George Amberson. Eugene explained to his host that Lucy had gone away to visit a school-friend. The information, delivered in the library just before old Sam's appearance to announce dinner, set Miss Miniver in quite a flutter. "'Why, George,' she said, turning to her nephew, "'how does it happen you didn't tell us?' And, with both hands opening, as if to express her innocence of some conspiracy, she explained to the others, "'He's never said one word to us about Lucy's planning to go away.' "'Probably afraid to,' the Major suggested. "'Didn't nobody might break down and cry if he tried to speak of it.' He clapped his grandson on the shoulder, inquiring jocularly, "'That it, Georgie?' Georgie made no reply, but he was red enough to justify the Major's developing a chuckle into laughter, though Miss Fanny, observing her nephew keenly, got an impression that this fiery blush was in truth more fiery than tender. She caught a glint in his eye less like confusion than resentment, and saw a dilation of his nostrils which might have indicated not so much a sweet agitation as an inaudible snort. Fanny had never been lacking in curiosity, and since her brother's death this quality was more than ever alert. The fact that George had spent all the evenings of the past week at home had not been lost upon her, nor had she failed to ascertain, by diplomatic inquiries, that since the day of the visit to Eugene's shops, George had gone driving alone. At the dinner-table she continued to observe him sidelong, and toward the conclusion of the meal she was not startled by an episode which brought discomfort to the others. After the arrival of coffee, the Major was rallying Eugene upon some rival automobile shops lately built in a suburb, and already promising to flourish. "'I suppose they'll either drive you out of the business,' said the old gentleman, "'or else the two of you will drive all the rest of us off the streets.' "'If we do, we'll even things up by making the streets five or ten times as long as they are now,' Eugene returned. "'How do you propose to do that?' "'It isn't the distance from the centre of a town that counts,' said Eugene. "'It's the time it takes to get there. "'This town is already spreading. "'Bicycles and trolleys have been doing their share, "'but the automobile is going to carry city streets clear out to the county line.' "'The Major was sceptical. "'Dream on, fair son,' he said. "'It's lucky for us that you're only dreaming, "'because if people go to moving that far, "'real estate values in the old residence part of town "'are going to be stretched pretty thin.' "'I'm afraid so,' Eugene assented unless you keep things so bright and clean that the old section will stay more attractive than the new ones not very likely how are things going to be kept bright and clean with soft coal in our kind of city government they aren't eugene replied quickly there's no hope of it and already the boarding-house is marching up national avenue there are two in the next block below here and there are a dozen in the half-mile below that my relatives the sharons have sold their house and are building in the country at least they call it the country it will be city in two or three years good gracious the major exclaimed affecting dismay so your little shops are going to ruin all your old friends eugene 
unless my old friends take warning in time or abolish smoke and get a new kind of city government. I should say the best chance is to take warning. Well, well, the Major laughed. You have enough faith in miracles, Eugene, granting that trolleys and bicycles and automobiles are miracles. So you think they're going to change the face of the land, do you? They're already doing it, Major, and it can't be stopped. Automobiles. At this point he was interrupted. George was the interrupter. He had said nothing since entering the dining-room, but now he spoke in a loud and peremptory voice, using the tone of one in authority who checks the prattle and settles a matter forever. "'Automobiles are a useless nuisance,' he said. There fell a moment's silence. Isabel gazed incredulously at George, colour slowly heightening upon her cheeks and temples, while Fanny watched him with a quick eagerness, her eyes alert and bright. But Eugene seemed merely quizzical, as if not taking this brusquerie to himself. The Major was seriously disturbed. "'What did you say, George?' he asked, though George had spoken but too distinctly. "'I said all automobiles were a nuisance,' George answered, repeating not only the words but the tone in which he had uttered them. And he added, "'They will never amount to anything but a nuisance. They had no business to be invented.' The Major frowned. Of course, you forget that Mr. Morgan makes them, and also did his share in inventing them. If you weren't so thoughtless, he might think you rather offensive. That would be too bad, said George, coolly. I don't think I could survive it. Again there was a silence, while the Major stared at his grandson, aghast. But Eugene began to laugh cheerfully. I'm not sure he's wrong about automobiles, he said. With all their speed forward, they may be a step backward in civilization, that is, in spiritual civilization. It may be that they will not add to the beauty of the world, nor to the life of men's souls. I'm not so sure. But automobiles have come, and they bring a greater change in our life than most of us suspect. They are here, and almost all outward things are going to be different because of what they bring. They are going to alter war, and they are going to alter peace. I think men's minds are going to be changed in subtle ways because of automobiles. Just how, though, I could hardly guess. But you can't have the immense outward changes that they will cause without some inward ones. And it may be that George is right, and that the spiritual alterations will be bad for us. Perhaps, ten or twenty years from now, if we can see the inward change in men by that time, I shouldn't be able to defend the gasoline engine, but would have to agree with him that automobiles had no business to be invented. He laughed good-naturedly, and, looking at his watch, apologized for having an engagement which made his departure necessary when he should so much prefer to linger. Then he shook hands with the Major, and bade Isabel, George, and Fanny a cheerful good-night. A collective farewell cordially addressed to all three of them together, and left them at the table. Isabel turned wondering, hurt eyes upon her son. "'George, dear,' she said, "'what did you mean?' "'Just what I said,' he returned, lighting one of the Major's cigars, and his manner was imperturbable enough to warrant the definition, sometimes merited by imperturbability, of stubbornness. Isabel's hand, pale and slender upon the tablecloth, touched one of the fine silver candlesticks aimlessly. The fingers were seen to tremble. "'Oh, he was hurt,' she murmured. "'I don't see why he should be,' George said. "'I didn't say anything about him.' He didn't seem to me to be hurt. Seemed perfectly cheerful. What made you think he was hurt? I know him, was all of her reply, half-whispered. The Major stared hard at George from under his white eyebrows. You didn't mean him, you say, George. 
I suppose if we had a clergyman as a guest here, you'd expect him not to be offended, and to understand that your remarks were neither personal nor untactful, if you said the church was a nuisance, and ought never to have been invented. By Jove, but you're a puzzle! In what way, may I ask, sir? We seem to have a new kind of young people these days, the old gentleman returned, shaking his head. It's a new style of courting a pretty girl, certainly, for a young fellow to go deliberately out of his way to try and make an enemy of her father by attacking his business. By Jove, that's a new way to win a woman!" George flushed angrily and seemed about to offer a retort, but held his breath for a moment, and then held his peace. It was Isabel who responded to the Major. "'Oh, no,' she said. "'Eugene would never be anybody's enemy. He couldn't, and last of all Georgie's. I'm afraid he was hurt, but I don't fear his not having understood that George spoke without thinking of what he was saying. I mean, without realizing its bearing on Eugene." Again George seemed on the point of speech, and again controlled the impulse. He thrust his hands in his pockets, leaned back in his chair, and smoked, staring inflexibly at the ceiling. "'Well, well,' said his grandfather, rising. "'It wasn't a very successful little dinner.' Thereupon he offered his arm to his daughter, who took it fondly, and they left the room, Isabel assuring him that all his little dinners were pleasant, and that this one was no exception. George did not move, and Fanny, following the other two, came round the table, and paused close beside his chair. But George remained posed in his great imperturbability, cigar between teeth, eyes upon ceiling, and paid no attention to her. Fanny waited until the sound of Isabel's and the Major's voices became inaudible in the hall. Then she said quickly, and in a low voice, so eager it was unsteady, "'George, you struck just the treatment to adopt. You're doing the right thing.' She hurried out, scurrying after the others with a faint rustling of her black skirts, leaving George mystified but incurious. He did not understand why she should bestow her approbation upon him in this matter, and cared so little whether she did or did not that he spared himself even the trouble of being puzzled about it. In truth, however, he was neither so comfortable nor so imperturbable as he appeared. He felt some gratification. He had done a little to put the man in his place that man whose influence upon his daughter was precisely the same thing as a contemptuous criticism of George Amberson Minifer, and of George Amberson Minifer's ideals of life. Lucy's going away without a word was intended, he supposed, as a bit of punishment. Well, he wasn't the sort of man that people were allowed to punish. He could demonstrate that to them, since they started it. It appeared to him as almost a kind of insolence, this abrupt departure, not even telephoning. Probably she wondered how he would take it. She even might have supposed he would show some betraying chagrin when he heard of it. He had no idea that this was just what he had shown, and he was satisfied with his evening's performance. Nevertheless, he was not comfortable in his mind, though he could not have explained his inward perturbations, for he was convinced, without any confirmation from his Aunt Fanny, that he had done just the right thing. End of chapter 19